This is the Social Geek Radio Network. Get ready for a dose of positivity with a side of sass. It's Stay Effing Positive, brought to you by the fearless franchise consultants at Stay in Your Lane. Our mission? It's simple to change the status quo and bring some much-needed empathy to the franchise world. Don't be fooled by our warm, fuzzy approach. We've got the expertise to help your business succeed. We love taking good brands to cult brands. So put on your seatbelts, grab a snack, and join us on this journey to make the franchise world a better place, one episode at a time. Stay positive and stay in your lane. Hi, Brett. Hello. How's your uh, your week going? Uh, my week's going fine. My day has been a little discombobulated, and I'm using <laughs> using that word specifically. We um, we all have those days, I think. Yeah, discombobulated. I'm not on my mic, which I have a really nice podcast mic, but I can't find my dongle. <laughs> That's a real word. That dang dongle. If I sound like crap, I'm really sorry. Um, but this is real life. And we're yeah. gonna roll with it. The truth of the matter is my mother, who God bless her little heart, came over while I was at IFA and she was watching my dog. And she decided to um slightly infringe infringe on my boundaries, slightly, and <laughs> clean my office. So oh. you you may have been privy to a phone call about five minutes ago where I called her and asked if she knew where my dongle was, but she does not know where my dongle is. And God bless uh, others. So honestly, yeah, it's not because I'm incompetent or incapable. It's because she's her love language is absolutely acts of service. So Aww. she likes to do things like that. And I don't mind. Yeah. Usually. My wife is the same way. And I, there's so many times where we'll kind of stand there and be like, Hmm, did I move something and I'm just forgetting where I left it or did she clean my stuff up trying to help it? And now it could be anywhere that's logical to her, which is usually never logical to my chaos brain. <laughs> yeah, I think we're both a little neurodivergent and we both have oh, yeah. these operating systems where we know where everything is, even though it looks a little bit like we should, yep. we do. But yep. anyway, everything's in on. very specific chaotic places for a reason <laughs> i mean like right next to my computer was my dongle but it's not there anymore <laughs> i'm gonna wonder how many times i can say dongle in this sentence okay moving on let's start this thing do you want to talk about what we're talking about today so today we have two very exciting guests coming on our podcast for an interview we have david smith who's with the ifa foundation and richard snow who's the vp of sba loans at wsfs bank All right, so let's get started. David, Richard, welcome to the Stay Effing Positive podcast. We're so excited to have you both here. Yeah, thanks for coming, guys. We're really excited. We'd love to have each of you introduce our, yourselves to the listeners. We can start there and carry on. Well, my name is Richard Snow. I'm glad to be a part of the Stay Effing Positive podcast. I can't help but not say that without a smile. 
on my face. Um, it forces you to keep that top of the mind. I'm the um, vice president for the SBA National Franchise Program at Wisfus Bank. Uh, I'm the chair for the IFA's Black Franchise Leadership Council. I serve on the IFA's Diversity Institute um, board, and I'm also serve on the IFA Foundations board. And I'm glad to be here to have a conversation, a courageous conversation about diversity in franchise, diversity, equity, and inclusion in franchising. And yes, uh, good afternoon. Thank you, Brett and Ingrid, for having me. Uh, my name is David Smith. I'm the Senior Manager of Diversity Programs with the IFA Foundation. Um, here, I work with each of our affinity groups, our Black Franchise Leadership Council, our Hispanic Latino Franchise Leadership Council, and our Pride Franchise Leadership Council, um, all of which are comprised of volunteer leaders um, who've raised their hands to kind of further the, the messaging of franchising for diverse communities. And so I'm happy to be here really to, to talk a lot about the work that we're doing um, and some of the, the really good enthusiasm that we've been able to build um, over the past several months. So um, thank you all for having me here and excited to be a part of the conversation. Absolutely. And David, you and I have been able to work together a little bit through my involvement with the Pride Franchise Leadership Council. We are so excited to have both of you here today from the Black Franchise Leadership Council. We really wanted to highlight the work that each of you and the council are doing and just give all of our listeners a little bit of, of insight into what's that like and how that plays out, especially in franchising. I think to kick things off, we'd love to just learn a little bit more about each of you individually. How did you find your way into the DEI space, into the franchise industry? I don't know if one of you wants to, to start and take it from there. So uh, I'll, I'll start. Uh, so within the franchising space, I've been in financing for over 20 plus years. Uh, within the franchising, uh, I was working at Benetrends Financial as an SBA funding specialist. And, and we did, from the point of access to capital, provide a lot of franchisees within uh, the North American corridor, Canada, the U.S., uh, with the financing to open up their franchise and begin to grow their business. Uh, I never forget going to the Jacob Javits Center. And at the Jacob Javits, it's, you see you know thousands of business owners in there hustling and bustling, um, speaking to their brand, the success of their brands. And you see all this energy from the individuals walking that trade show floor, looking at these opportunities, looking to take advantage of that American dream of starting their business. Um, in the midst of being in that room, I felt the energy going, looking around. I didn't see a lot of faces that represented me um, and who I am. And I said, well, this, ha this has to be something that I can take back to my community to speak to more Black entrepreneurs about the franchising space. Um, it can't be this uh, best kept secret that you don't know if you can attain. That was obtainable. I'm out here financing it. How can I get this message out here? So from that point on, I began to look at the diverse market segments and, and how the company and companies were attracting diverse market segments and what strategies can we take to support. Uh, and in my, in my research and Looking at the International Franchise Association, I saw that they had the Diversity Institute uh, with a number of um, members on there that I related to and had relationships with that I said, 
maybe this is something here that I can give my time to, to support and make a difference, um, be another component of this to support and make it stronger, amplify the word, amplify the voice of franchising. So that was really some of my early exposure, uh, but the drive was always there. Um, for years, I've been supporting from a financial education, financial literacy standpoint, um, standpoint in the marginalized communities, um, supporting with how you can support yourself in managing your own finances to make a difference within your community. So it all kind of was a a perfect marriage, so to speak. I was already doing the work. I just didn't know I had a partner like the IFA Diversity Institute. Too, so, yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. and I would say similarly, um, my journey has really been preparing me for this role. Um, my entire career, I've worked at um, national nonprofit associations um, that advocate for underrepresented communities. And so starting with my tenure at the U.S. Black Chamber of Commerce, um, I was there um, for several years learning about um, the challenges and the opportunities that African-American entrepreneurs are facing. Um, and there I was really able to understand, you know, the the marketplace of, of minority business and, and understand what challenges exist and how to overcome them, um, what coalitions need to be built um, in order to be successful um, in the marketplace. And then, um, you know, transitioning even to another organization where um, we worked primarily with low to moderate income communities. My region was the Southern region. So I was, look, I was working on like affordable housing and business development issues uh, with nonprofits and business associations in the Southern United States, uh, which was really unique to me because um, although I wasn't, you know, I'm not from there, I'm from upstate New York, um, I was still able to build some really strong relationships with these diverse communities in the southern region, um, primarily just from having an, an open heart and open mind to to begin our, our dialogues. And so, you know, happy to kind of talk about that a little bit more and some of the fruit that I saw from that. Um, but really, then after the, the low to moderate income communities, I transitioned to a new role uh, working on behalf of diverse owned private equity funds and hedge firms, hedge funds and private equity firms. And um, there, again, it's still advocating for an underrepresented group um, in the marketplace. But, you know, these are some very successful entrepreneurs running some very large million dollar, sometimes billion dollar companies. And it was interesting there to see that despite their success, they're still having barriers, they're still facing barriers, um, accessing capital or accessing institutions and networks. And so that has kind of led me now to, to IFA where I'm learning franchising, I'm with entrepreneurship in general, uh, but the franchise business model is one that's that's very unique to me. And I think there's a lot of opportunities to kind of build out some more diverse franchise franchisee networks and franchisor networks um, within the space. You guys both talked about the um, barriers that prevent um, franchising growing in diverse spaces. And I'd love to talk about some of those barriers and how we get over them. And just, you know, even if it's a fast, like your three biggest points um, of diversity and how we move through them, 
or opportunities that you guys see. So being on the IFA Black Leadership Franchise Leadership Council, what you guys see that you're doing um, to help promote growth in diverse spaces and franchising. So, so I would say I would start with we have. So we started when we built the council. You always start with the problem in mind. What's the issue? What are, what are the barriers? And you build around that. So one of the number one barriers being education and learning. Uh, we found that to be educating on the opportunities of franchising and how to take that next step, whether it be the FDD, understanding that, whether it be creating your funding package, putting that together or standard operating procedures. So education and learning, um, and a lot of that you see the IFA is already doing um, through the CFB program. Um, second is access to capital and funding strategies, understanding uh, the barriers that are there, the and how do you access that capital? Which lenders are open open to supporting startups? Uh, what is your equity injection? Um, are you registered by the SBA? Understanding that process, how to use the uh, ROPS for for example, if you want to use ROPS to finance your project, how does private equity play into this, or venture capitalists play into this? So access to capital and funding strategy, um, and then marketing and communication outreach consistently telling these stories. So right now, this um, is the marketing, the communication outreach component of it, telling the stories, creating the awareness, staying consistent in that story, um, highlighting the success of Black entrepreneurs out within the franchising community. Uh, so if an individual can see an example of success, they can replicate and become that example of success. Um, and then the last piece of it, is coalition building community partnerships. What we're seeing here, we're partnering. We're the BFLC, the Pride Council, the Hispanic Council, uh, the Veteran Committee, the um, Vet Fran, the um, Women's Committee. We're all a community and we have these partnerships, these syn synergies. You have individuals that are that are um, diverse in all categories. That mean to check all the boxes. That can certainly, you know, that can work within each one of these councils. So that's part of that partnership. How do we build that synergy to support and amplify our collective voices? So we found those to be the pillars that we're um, we're fighting against. We're fighting to support. Uh, we're fighting to create the awareness uh, to understand and access the franchise opportunity for Black entrepreneurs. We want to uh, create and maintain organizational culture where inclusion, diversity, and creativity are valued. Uh, we want to educate franchisors, franchisees, suppliers, the franchise, franchise community to provide a new perspective and stimulate the discussions of Blacks in franchising. Uh, then we want to provide regular opportunities for this exchange with council members, um, uh, any appropriate um, companies that want to support boards, committees, other groups within the Diversity Institute or the IFA Foundation or external groups. So this is really our overall goal. That is our mission. Um, and this is how we begin to create that awareness and spread that word by coming on podcasts, and staying effing positive about everything we do in our in, in our walks, uh, how we walk on a day to day basis to achieve the goal. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, I got uh, chills listening to you talk about kind of the the collective voices too, and the mm -hmm. way that we can work together. I think sometimes we we find ourselves off on an island when in reality we are all working towards the same goal, and our best bet is to work together on that. I think 
sometimes our communities don't realize, or even just if we're solely looking at franchising, it's a lot of people when you really start looking at all of these communities together that are impacted. And it's, it's not like anyone's trying to drive change for just a small group. It's we're trying to drive collective change for everybody across each of these areas to areas to, you know, beat some of these barriers or at least alleviate a little bit some of those issues and and help people get through there and, and really start driving that change that's awesome and, and i'll even give you the examples after the ifa convention in vegas i had so many brands reach out to me and said that the words you spoke they touched me and i realized that one I fell in line with the stat, with the, the statistic of being 8% Black franchisee ownership, but I want to find a way to change that. Now, that's awareness. That is textbook awareness that they see the issue, they recognize the issue, now they're taking steps to solve the issue. And these are, if we don't continue to place this information out there um, in the universe, then it, 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 the energy can't be reciprocated back and, um, and finding that solution. I would just add to that. Um, part of the reason why so many people reached out to Richard at convention is because he won the award for the yes. Ronald E. Harrison Award for Diversity. And um, yeah, it, it was a really good, op- it was a really good moment for, for him and his family, but um, I found myself even tearing up a little bit when he was speaking because, you know, he's so passionate about this. And, you know, I've only known him for less than a year. Um, but when you meet people who are in this space and are truly committed, um, you know, you're happy to see them su- succeed and you're happy to see them um, be recognized for the work that they're doing. And so just with Richard getting that recognition, it, it pushes all of us forward because, people are now invested into the work that he's doing. And so that that helps kind of spur these conversations more into diversity and how we, you know, amplify our voices collectively. So David, congratulations, you, Richard. Yeah. Wanted to say that again. Yeah, so, yeah David, big congrats. about that award just a little bit so that people that weren't there didn't see that, yeah. too, what, what that is and what it means and how it affects the industry as a whole. So uh, Ronald E. Harrison, so Ronald E. Harrison, uh, is a uh, was a Pepsi executive who served on and was one of the founding members of the IFA Diversity Institute Board that still works within the Diversity Institute Board until this very day. Uh, has a whole lot of zeal and passion, very intelligent in regards to our strategic direction, um, supportive in, um, in the steps that we take to create, to actually execute this vision. Um, he's also supported with supporting uh, sponsoring our research data in the beginning to have us understand what does the diverse landscape look like? What are the data and the metrics that apply to that? And just up until um, Orlando, he, he was facilitating roundtables, roundtables, diversity discussions, giving a historical reference and where, where we came from. So this award is um, named after one of our founders. Um, for the Diversity Institute Board. And, you know, I, I don't do any of this work for recognition or awards. David will tell you, I'll do it from the heart. Um, that's really it. So they surprised and shocked me uh, with the award. And, um, you know, those are giants. So I, I look to continue to learn from them. But if I can make a difference, 
um, that that is the goal. And uh, I'm honored to have received the award uh, in any way that I can go out there and continue to spread this message to get more companies involved um, in creating um, sustainable diversity, equity, inclusion programs uh, to create that next generation of franchisees and that next Ronald E. Harrison award winner. I'll take it. If that's the, if that's the goal, you know, I'll take it. Wow. That's, that was incredible. And, and congratulations again. It, um, it, it kind of makes me think of, of a conversation that I, I keep having with people. And, and this ties back to uh, David and Richard, both of you having experience working with institutions. I, I think often people get discouraged when change takes time. All change takes time. There's there's a very different approach if you're talking about driving change at a small company versus driving institutional, oftentimes even systematic, which is an entirely other conversation. But you you both have experience seeing what it takes to drive institutional change, the the speed or lack thereof that might come from that. A lot of times I hear people say like, oh, transformation, it's it's impossible. It's it's not gonna happen. Change isn't gonna happen. And I I always try to help them think about it from a different perspective of, hey, if you look at the change that's already happened over XYZ years, because people are working on this and sometimes the work happens in one time frame and the actual results and the the change that comes from that comes later on, like, you know, in, in the example here with the award, how you know, what have you guys seen? What can you speak to that? What advice would you have to change makers out there who are hoping to make a difference, but maybe get discouraged because it, it takes longer and you have to go through more appropriate processes to drive that type of change? Yeah. I mean, personally, I'm, I'm one of those people or have been one of those people who've been completely discouraged and completely disappointed and just tired and exhausted. And honestly, during those times, it's, it's important for me to to connect with with people who can remind me of why I'm doing this work um because you know you it sometimes it feels like you take two steps forward but then take three steps back and so being able to keep your perspective um is is very important so i i just like personally say have those people in your life um that you can kind of release to um but also you know th- there is the change does happen. I remember um, I was even skeptical of the uh, ability for um, organizers here in Washington, D.C. and around the country about the changing of the Washington football team name. Um, That was just a few years ago. And I would see them out all the time. And even myself, I would think like you're wasting your time. You know, the NFL is such a large institution. There's so much history. There's so much behind this decision i i just think there's probably a better way for you to to spend your your advocacy mm-hmm. but i was totally surprised and in a good way they demonstrated that you know consistent organizing and pressure upon the people who are making decisions and the people who are um stakeholders in this you actually you can make change it, it may be incremental but it's still in the right direction Yep. You know, that's that's not necessarily an example within franchising, but it's definitely an example on the, the main stage of like, yeah. you know, enough enough support or influence um, from the right people 
um, can really make things happen. So I, it's a, it's keep your, keep your eyes on the, the long goal, um, but make sure you have some shorter wins and then just people <laughs> in the trenches with you um, to hold your hand as you're going. Yeah. And, and that's a, a great segue, David, because keeping your, your eyes on the long goal, keeping yours is the singular. So you need to have identified a singular point of contact within your organization that's keeping our eyes on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So uh, one of the big things that you're starting to see take place is chief diversity officers within these franchising brands. That's needed. Uh, one example that I always like to tout um, is James Fripp over at um, Young, um, best in class from a diversity, equity, inclusion standpoint uh, with the work he's doing inside a global organization you can't get no more diverse than that um, in the strategies they put together, the playbooks they put together internally, not just from uh, a development process, they have it from an operating process. You see executives wow. in the organization that, that look the same, and then you, you move over and then you see what Wendy's is doing. Wendy's last year came out to the San Diego conference and they're working with women-owned banks to make sure more women become um, franchisee owners within the Wendy's um, network and brand and provide those brand opportunities um, out there. Then you go and you see it from the Z level where, you know, we had the pleasure of working with um, Malcolm Jenkins, where he's a multi-unit uh, Papa John's franchisee. And you see the work that they're doing in there and expanding across their units there. So you see his voice from the Z level. Um, and then you look at um, Shaquille O'Neal, who we had as a keynote speaker, yeah. either for being a multi-unit franchisee, now he's a Zor at Big Chicken. So look at the diversity pieces taking place and in, in tagged back in. And then I even go to Damon Dunn, who was an NFL player, transitioned from the NFL. Now I think he owns over, quote me, get me wrong, but it's maybe over 21 Dunkin' Donuts within the Inspire brand network. And he's constantly speaking out there. So you have to find, if you have individuals in your, your franchise organization with a voice, you have to highlight that voice. But then you have to focus on diversity and have somebody on your executive team appointed to getting the necessary training to understand the strategies to have a successful DEI program. And then once you have that officer, you have to create some form of affinity council inside your organization. It has to start there and understand and create studies and surveys on what your employees feel, how your employees feel you are achieving your um, DEI goals, diversity. Do they feel like their voice is being heard? Do they feel like there's enough, pro enough programs and strategies uh, what could be done what are our what are our strengths weaknesses opportunities and threats as an organization and once you give them that platform you know create it in a comfortable environment where they feel comfortable to share and be able to report that back up to somebody at a senior level that can stand behind it not just um, through words but through actions through monetary resources and then from there once you have the chief diversity officer, the Affinity Council now allow them to partner with external organizations like the BFLC or the Pride Council or the Hispanic Expanded Council to talk to others to bring some of those best practices back in. And that's part of the coalition building. 
tell me how would you everything that you're saying is phenomenal and it, it works ideally in a huge organization but tell me what you think about with a small scrappier organization what they need to do to implement some of that when they don't have the budget for a huge DEI council or they don't have the budget to bring in people to speak how can they still get in at the ground level and start these changes in their organizations when they're small they're an emerging franchise or and how can they make a difference so I'll give you an example some organizations that I've seen do it already they've appointed somebody who maybe serves in a dual role uh, maybe somebody who's uh, talent and acquisition HR and sometimes you see them share that role where they're covering DEI. The Affinity Council, it costs nothing to create. It's just for you to really put it out there and have somebody appointed as an executive. It don't have to be the same person. It could be somebody that's willing to take up the mantle. It may be one of your top franchisees or a franchisee that's diverse in your network and say, I'm so glad you're doing this. I'm willing to take charge as a volunteer leader to lead this agenda and being able to report back what we're trying to accomplish and, and do. So you don't so those two pieces right there, you don't necessarily need the largest of budget. As it grows, you will, as your organization grows. But if when you start putting leaders in place to guide the strategy, that's the piece that you have there. The councils will, we're a council that formed out of um, necessity, you know, that formed out of, okay, we, wanted, we want to amplify the voice of Black entrepreneurs amplify the voice of the Pride Council, amplify the voice of Hispanic franchise leaders. And they sent the call out, the IFA sent the call out and say, hey, Ricky, Ricky Amos, who's the executive director of the foundation, say, I have an idea. It started with her courageous leadership of saying, I have an idea. This is what I'm trying to accomplish and brought us all into, uh, say, a room, a Zoom call. And we got on the phone and we went through what this would look like from one stage to another. And as volunteer leaders, we've stepped up to the plate to achieve that. And what you're seeing is the fruits of those courageous conversations. Yeah, and I would also add, you know, I'm really interested in figuring out how to get buy-in from the top down um, within a company. And, you know, if there's a way for me to demonstrate or a colleague to demonstrate the benefits of having an inclusive workforce, um, to those decision makers um, at the top. I think that that's, that's key. I'm sure, you know, you, Brett and Ingrid probably already have the resources and the, the techniques um, to get that buy-in. But, you know, if you can show from like an HR perspective, how having an inclusive workforce that can retain employees for longer is better for the company as a whole, that's a win. And it's, that's affecting the bottom line for, for those who may, be slower to jump on the DEI board. Everybody understands dollars and cents. And so when you can make those compelling arguments, I think that that makes your, your DEI strategy that much stronger. Well, we talk about the bottom line a lot at Stay In Your Lane. And that's really where we people can, I mean, everybody wants to make more money, right? Mm -hmm. So right. what are the case studies that we can show them? Like, hey, this, this company implemented a DEI program. And then the next year they're making 16 to 23% more. So what does it look like, right? So I think you hit the nail on the head there as far as growing too. You don't have all the answers. <laughs> yeah. Well, and but we're happy I, to learn. <laughs> I think too, there's a, a piece of it with, when it comes to business executives where maybe they, they don't understand how their employees really feel or, you know, maybe they, 
maybe it's a team of all white executives and they don't know what the black experience is like for their employees. Um, you know, it's, it's really interesting. There's, there's one stat that has always stuck with me because it's just a, a gut punch. And that's, um, in, in 2017, the Harvard Business Review did a study and they actually found that 40% of Black employees feel like it's never acceptable to speak out about experiences of bias. Look, I hear my voice break when I say that just because it makes me feel so ill that anybody would feel that way. Um, and part of where I, I see that play out is almost people avoid talking about those things because they're uncomfortable or it's uncharted territory. They're uneducated. Maybe. Um, I mean, my, my goodness, I, there's people who I think are, are even afraid to just say the word black because they worry about stepping on toes or not communicating appropriately. Um, and when you don't ask some of those questions or you don't try, you miss out on being able to support all kinds of people and, and back to the bottom line, happy employees produce better. They're going to help you, you know, have a more profitable company. Um, what would your advice be to executives who maybe fall in that category where they're not sure how to ask their Black employees how they can support them better, or, or maybe they don't know how to navigate some of those conversations from your perspective and experience, what would your advice be there? Well, you know, um, what's interesting, um, you've, you've seen a lot of studies, so Gallup has a program called um, Voices. And they, Gallup does a survey on um, Black voices and give um, insight on Black America, research around it. But they ask these key um, diversity, equity, and inclusion questions in a survey that companies are utilizing to look exactly and get a lens um, in a lens that's um, is, is, is completely anonymous. You as an, uh, an employee can take this survey. It goes back to senior leadership and can directly communicate exactly how you feel. So you see a lot of organizations taking that route and um, funneling that information back up. Or um, even in my own organization, uh, they've created councils where we're able to sit down and really speak to how we feel, you know, what's taking place within the organization, how we feel uh, and, 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 and how to and how to change that and, and, and how to stand up. And, and when issues do happen, because they always will, you know, being included in what the response to that is. Um, I think that's a, another a critical piece because we, we've had, you know, if issues, we've had extreme issues such as George Floyd, you know, that, that, that took place where, you know, the world had to process that together mm -hmm. and, and I think because we were in lockdown and the world was quiet you had to absorb that and take that in mm -hmm. and fully pro there was no distractions at that point for you to see what took place and and you seen out of that you seen the initial outrage that continued outrage but then now you see solutions trying to be developed overall and there's so many things outside of that that you know that amplified and highlighted so many other things that were taking place wrong within the world and, um, and, and, and really fighting up and standing behind your voice and, and, and how, you know, you also count, you know, you know, black entrepreneurs can be successful entrepreneurs within a franchising brand as well. Um, you know, so because anybody with LGBTQ or Hispanic, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You, you can be 
successful. And there's a voice here for you. And every time one of us stand up, it gives somebody else the courage to do the same. You know, and I, and I think that's half the battle is um, people feel like they need to dim, you know, um, dim their voice and, and, and not, you know, say, hey, the, you know, I'm here. This is what I need. Um, these are the, the topics that are important to me. And I think the work that we're doing, the councils are doing, that you're doing as well, having this conversation is uh, absolutely amazing. I'm enjoying this. Yeah, calls for a lot and, of and vulnerability. To, yeah, yes. it does. I would, I would love and, to ask on the heels of that, either David or Richard, what's your advice to someone who feels like they don't know what to say or they don't know how to start or they may say the wrong thing to the wrong person? And it's obviously not your job to educate them, but like, how do you deal with grace and how do you walk those lines? And as a person who comes from a lot of privilege, um, how do we continue to bridge those gaps and educate ourselves without feeling on edge all the time? It's that's such a tough thing to, it's a tough dance. Um, I say first on, on the listeners end, I think we both need to be bold <laughs> with grace you know, like I need to be able to listen and, and accept if you say something wrong. I know, you know, I, I say give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, and so I think, yeah, I, I would say really as a as a listener, um, if we can create an opportunity or create a space where people don't have to feel like they're walking on eggshells, that is that that goes a long way. Um, it, it definitely can be um challenging especially you know when you feel like your heart is in the right place and you want to do something um and you don't know how um to reach some of your colleagues um you know i i would start small um you know how are you feeling um do you want to talk uh is there something that i can do you know to to help you know it, it's it's delicate i would just say be delicate. Don't expect them to have an answer. Don't expect them to join a committee because something happened. Um, you know, it's both sides need to be graceful and and allow for the other to make mistakes if we're really trying to to push this conversation forward. Dialogue is a two part is a two way street, and we we don't want either side being afraid or timid to speak to the other. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would have to say ditto, you know, exactly what he stated. Um, there's not a, a, a wrong or a right way, but um, for the individual listening, having a willing ear, open ear to hear and, and not without judgment, not feeling like it's being directed towards that individual, but just so overall speaking to the issues. Um, I think that's spot on being able to be open to listen and then working together to achieve those those solutions. Um, I think it's this key. So, uh, David, you spot on. I have nothing to add to what you just said. Yeah, I just as an example, um, a friend of mine, after the George Floyd incident happened, his company quickly assigned him to be like the leader of the diversity community at his <laughs> job. And, you know, he told me privately, you know, I'm not prepared for this. I didn't volunteer for this. I feel uncomfortable now that they've just assigned me to this role. And so that's the thing. It's like, even if you think, okay, this is the black employee, he's probably feeling some type of way. 
let me do I think you should check in with that employee first before you know assigning Mm -hmm. them or or doing uh, yeah I was just gonna add a a footnote there and um I I think a lot of people saw this after everything that happened with George Floyd but I think kind of a panic set in and everybody was like where's my black friend I need to ask them for the answers (laughs) and I just can't stress it enough don't take that approach. Google is free. Try to educate yourself a little bit first. Um, you know, I, I think a great example of that, um, one of my really good friends, Tori, she <laughs> listens to this. Hopefully she's going to be sharing. Um, but we we started a, a DEI council um, at, at Skyhawks and it's primarily actually a, a team of, of white people. And what happened was we wanted to educate ourselves and learn and you know, Tori's approach was, I was worried I was going to have that she was going to have to go on and and be the black woman that led the DEI council. And so she was actually hesitant to join. But when she saw that it was white people and we're trying to educate ourselves and we, we want to make a difference. She was just beside herself. She was so excited to see that there was a community and the people that she worked with cared about and, and supported her enough to want to educate themselves. And she uh, you know, I think a lot of times people do get tokenized and we don't want to go that route, right? You got to teach yourself a little bit. And then once you're educated, you can go into those conversations. And I, in my experience, I found they're more productive at that point in time. Um, you know, it's, you want to try to be kind and, and compassionate and, and welcome people. Um, but there's a fine line. There's a very fine line there. And it depends on the relationship that you have with that person too. Right. And, 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 and you also, um, I look at it, it's not just a corporate initiative, it's a human initiative. Yep. Right? Oh, yeah. And so many times they're they're driving and they're creating these DEI platforms, but they're not tying it back to the humanistic approach of it. Um, and then you get caught up that, hey, we checked the box. Yeah. It's not it's, it's, it's not a box check, you know, so it's it's something that has to be embedded in your culture from that standpoint. So one of the things I stated when I gave a speech, I said etched into the DNA. Yeah. And, and that, that's the key. It has to be there. It has to be authentic. It has to be genuine because the individuals within your organization will pick that up. You know, they will pick that up and it, it will, it will, it will further create a divide within your organization if it feels like it's just lip service and not something authentic. Um, so I, I think that's also important. And um, I would say it's it's a it's a marathon. It's a life marathon. It's not a race. It's not the first to say I did a DEI. I, I'd rather somebody take it slow and build methodically, you know, either, you know, reach out to a collaborative partner, figure out some best practices, you know, maybe a consultant comes in and assess, you know, strategies. What are you currently doing well that already works? Um I, I think a big thing that we do is recognition matters a lot. I've been speaking to a lot of our um, franchising partners and I said, give me all of your diverse franchisees that's doing a great job and I would love to highlight, them. give them to them and let us highlight each one of them and push out that they're doing great. They feel great about it. Let us tell that story, just like you're telling stories out here. You know, so I think that's important for all of us to do is to highlight Black entrepreneurs, proud entrepreneurs, Hispanic entrepreneurs highlight everybody that is out there and tell those stories because now they feel like my company got behind me. And then the company can see the impact 
the, the raw data impact. They can look at the LinkedIn impressions, the um, Instagram impressions, the Facebook impressions. Look at who's looking at your organization. Look at the amount of people after you put a few diverse posts out there that now want to apply and say, I relate to that organization or I relate to that person. It starts, it's almost that small. It could be something that small um, to really um, light the fire. We want to see ourselves, yeah. right, and what we do. So if you're yes. highlighting people that look like you, that have the same story as you, right, we can relate and we feel like we're safe there. So yes. it's, it's a beautiful thing and we're able to tell a story well. Wrapping this up, I'd love to know about any resources that you both love that you want to highlight or anything that the, uh, that the um, Black Franchise Leadership Council is getting ready to do that we can promote for you or just talk about. Um, and, and any last thoughts that you have um, as we as we wrap this up? So we just had an amazing uh, IFA convention post-conference call where I think we had over maybe 70 individuals on that call. Wow, excited about um, aligning with one of the committees and uh, I spoke to each committee earlier our access to capital community partnerships our, our marketing and our education and learning outreach and we probably had maybe 10 10 individuals for each committee so we have a lot of programming planned for 2023 um, we're definitely looking at putting together a hotel owner symposium together uh, we're going to do something wrapped around Juneteenth. We're going to do great highlights during Black Business Month that's coming up. Um, we're going to also have a lot of more educational programs that are out there. And there's much more to come that I can't um, put out there yet, but there's a lot of big wins. Um, and then one of the things um, at conference um, that they spoke to, I like to give kudos to um, Omar um, Simeon, who Omar Simmons, who actually um, donated um, a, a, a sizable contribution to the foundation to support with diverse initiatives. Um, and also John Lancaster over at Choice Hotels. He um, also was a sponsor and also did a contribution to support with diverse initiatives. So there's a lot of excitement that's taking place out there. I would say reach out to myself or David, um, you'll have our contact information at the end of the show, or you can go on LinkedIn to the Black Franchise Leadership Council, just put that in your search bar, click follow, connect, and um, instant, uh, instant message or direct message, either David or myself, we'd be glad to reach out and, and find out what committee you align with so you can help us continue to make a difference throughout the course of this year. Speaking of those committees, just a little sidebar before you go, um, David, you guys, I walked by all of the committees during the IFA and you guys were absolutely having the most fun and were the most rambunctious out of each <laughs> one of the groups. Just to let you know. Yeah, and it, it sounds like we're, we had them separate this year. We're, it seems like we're going to join everybody together next year. Awesome. So it's going to be even crazier. That's amazing. Um, but yeah. yeah. Are y'all ready um, for that party? I hope y'all are ready for that party. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they're ready. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I would say uh, so thank you. We definitely have a lot of um, programming and events coming up, again, primarily just around education and, and outreach about franchising. But yeah, as Richard said, please reach out to both of us um, with any questions. Um, we do have one um, Pathways to Franchising event coming up here in Maryland um, on Wednesday, April 12th. Uh, we're encouraging people to come out. We have um, several different brands here to talk about, you know, franchising 101 and giving their their 
firsthand experience on starting a franchise, picking the right franchise, um, finding the capital to grow that company. And so if we have a successful event there, we hope to to take that program and replicate it in different cities across the country. Who should come to that program? Like who is it who is it tailored for, David? Um, yeah, it's it's in partnership with the Maryland Black Chamber of Commerce and the Prince George's County Economic Development Corporation. Um, but we're targeting anybody who's interested in learning about franchising, like franchising 101, where what is a franchise? Um, how do I learn about the FDD, you know, just the real basics about franchising. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you both for taking the time to to chat with us. I've got a million more questions that I think both Ingrid and I could could talk, talk through with you. Um, but this information has just been so invaluable. I think our listeners have a ton that they can walk away with and implement in both their personal and their professional lives. Um, yeah, thank you both. Thank you for having me. Um, this was great. I'll be staying effing positive for the rest of my week, and I appreciate you all. Good. Um, I thank you both as well. Um, I, this was an amazing conversation, courageous conversation, uh, uplifted my spirit to keep going and uh, pushing forward and, uh, and, and, and making sure we're keeping the mission and vision first. Uh, I'm glad to call y'all my running mates, counter partners, you know, uh, out here doing great work for the IFA Diversity Institute. And um, I look forward to the next conversation, whatever you need our support and let me know as well. Um, I'm, and vice versa. I love Paul, as he already tell you. My wife loves Paul. And Paul, I he's can't a gem. Wait. <laughs> I can't wait to have Paul over for a barbecue. He, he, he's he's, he's got to come. We're going to have a good time. That's amazing. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming, you guys. It was, it was a pleasure. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.